This morning I want to spend just a couple of minutes before we get into our passage because it is July 4th weekend and because I believe that, that again, we just stand at the crossroads uh, of where is our nation going to go as we celebrate Independence Day and as we think back on, on what it really means to be an American. You know, God established the nations. Actually, in Psalm 2, it says there that Uh, The nations are supposed to be a heritage unto the Lord, that literally the founding of countries and the gathering together of people were for the express purpose of glorifying God. And that is not the case today in a vast majority of the world, and it's not God's plan. And it is that cry of our hearts that if my people who are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, and he would hear from heaven and heal our land. Our land needs the touch of the Lord. Our country needs the touch of the Lord. Uh, He has made, Acts chapter 17 declares, from every nation and every group of mankind here on this earth, uh, he's determined for each of those to have an allotted period of time, that passage says, and we're supposed to be his dwelling place. It is that the nations of the earth are supposed to bring glory and honor and praise to the Lord. And I don't know that we can say that currently about our nation. I think that our nation is focused on many things that, quite frankly, have been a problem for the world. And I think it's not by chance that we happen to be in the passage that we're in this week, because I don't think anything has become more problematic than materialism in our nation. I think we've focused in to some degree on the wrong things. And because we've focused on the wrong things, we have the wrong heart towards other people and consequently are not receiving the blessings that I believe God would have for us. And so there in Psalm 2, as the nations, it's interesting how it opens up because the nations literally are rebelling against God. That's the problem. And I believe that's the problem that exists in our world today. The nations and our nation is rebelling against God. Uh, It seems as though every single year goes by and a new crop of television shows uh, become more and more anti-Christ, more and more anti-God, more and more pro-sin. And I think to some extent that the focus of our prayers ought to be, Oh God, return our nation unto you. We need a touch from the Lord in this country today. It is, I don't believe it's random chance processes that have brought us to the financial difficulties that this country faces right now. I do believe that the Lord has at least allowed, if not brought those things upon us, so that we'll stop trusting in money and stop seeking after things that cannot satisfy, as we will see in our passage today. When you read that passage, God is in heaven. We are on earth. Uh, he, he laughs at our foolishness. He, he literally scoffs at us in, in the times that we think that we have it all planned out. And I want to really encourage you as we thank the Lord for the freedoms that we have here. And again, this country is like none other. And people who have a problem with American exceptionalism just simply have a problem with the God who's made us who we are, because he's made us exceptional to some degree. But we are seeing those things which once made us exceptional uh, pass away right before our very eyes. I do not believe it's too late 
I think that our nation needs to wake up, and as we wake up and we honor the Lord, He will restore the blessing unto us, because I believe there are people that He still wants to reach through us. And as we do that, I believe we'll have His hand upon us. Verse 12 of that passage there in Psalm 2, it goes on to say that we would kiss the Son, literally to pay homage and honor and give glory to the Lord, to allow God to be in the first position, not in the fourth or the tenth or the last position in our lives. And I believe that that is, in fact, the Founder's vision. Were the Founders perfect? Absolutely not. Did some of them have immense problems with what Scripture declares should be the manner of living for those who name his name? Absolutely so. Were a couple of them patently deists? Yes, absolutely. But they established a form of government that's never existed on the earth before and hasn't existed since. And its foundation is the belief that all men are created equal. They have a creator. We were created equal. And in that equality, the first of those things is life. And then liberty. And then the pursuit of happiness. And I want you to notice that that doesn't say wealth. It just says happiness. And it really is contentment that brings that. It's not wealth. It's not things. It isn't more of everything. It's simply being content with the things that we do have. And I believe that in understanding that, as our founders purposed to bring forth a new nation, to, to bring forth a new way of life, and to bring forth, in essence, a new form of government, they did so to the glory of God. And in fact, we are, though not specifically stated as such in our founding documents, we have been a Christian nation. We have been a nation whose God is the Lord, very predominantly so. You can't help but understand that. If you travel to Washington, D.C., all you need to do is take a tour on foot around Washington, D.C., and you'll understand that we absolutely were founded on Christian principles. And so as we're going to pray now and ask God to bless our nation, I want to encourage you to make it a practice and a habit this year to pray for our country. We need to pray for our president, for our Congress, for our Senate, for our local elected officials. We need to pray for our governor. We need to pray. Because if we pray, we can affect the outcome of these things which seem so troubling. If we do not pray, we have given up the one thing that we can do that most assuredly will bring about godly result. Now, we can get all active politically. We can do all kinds of things, which, by the way, I believe we should do. The church should have a loud voice in politics. But the one thing we need to do is pray and seek the face of God and ask him to return us to that right relationship. And so would you join me now as we pray for our nation and ask God to bless us? Father God, as we, on this weekend, that we celebrate our independence Come to the one who has given us that independence, Lord. We weren't just set free from England and from the tyranny of an unrighteous king. We were set free to worship you. We were set free to have enterprise from which we could keep the gains. Lord, we were set free to worship in a manner that's pleasing to you. 
Lord, we were given our first Bibles by order of the Congress of this country, that many of those who served in our federal government were members of the American Bible Society. They sought to bring the Bible into the classroom, and Lord, how far we have fallen from those days. And we pray, God, that you'd have mercy upon our country. Lord, we want to thank you for the countless lives that have been lost, Lord, fighting for the freedoms that we this day enjoy. And we pray that you'd be with those who are right now in the field of battle in Iraq and Afghanistan, Lord, still stationed in Korea. Father, those that are in Kosovo, Lord, all over the world, uh, bastions of those soldiers, both men and women, who have given their lives to serve this nation. And, Lord, we do believe that there is time uh, for you to redeem and to restore. And we ask that you would, Lord, that you'd give us a calling upon our lives that's holy and it's acceptable unto you. Lord, we pray that we'd forsake the things of the world, Lord, that our lives would count for the cause of Christ. Make us strong, Lord, in these last days. We pray for our president this day. God, we ask that you would reach into his heart. He professes a relationship with you. And we do not judge him, Lord, except by the fruit of his life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would make him a man after your own heart. We pray that you'd change him, that you'd transform him. We pray for our Congress, Lord, both houses, the Senate, the House of Representatives. There are many in those bodies who love you, and they're on both sides of the aisle. Lord, may we not get hung up on whether someone's a Democrat or a Republican, but whether they are a Christian. Lord, whether they live by your word and abide by your principles. We ask, God, that you would transform this country. We pray that you would break down the things that have exalted themselves against you, our trust in wealth and money. Lord, the adherence to godless laws. We pray that you'd cause the Supreme Court, Lord, and those in it to judge with righteous justice, Lord, as your word declares they should. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, as a nation. We ask God for those that have paid the the most extreme sacrifice anyone can, that they have given their lives for us. Lord, those families that today are without sons or daughters. Lord, would you bless them? Would you put your hand upon them and heal their wounds, Lord? Father God, we're grateful for the country that we live in. We do know, Lord, there's none like it on earth. And Lord, as we seek to be well-pleasing to you, would our lives matter for your kingdom? God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for our independence and our freedoms. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to use those freedoms for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Amen. Would you turn this morning in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6? For those of you that may be visiting with us this morning, I would remind you uh, that we teach chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so, upon occasion, very rare occasion, because Scripture speaks of it, we find ourselves talking about things that make people uncomfortable. They make pastors uncomfortable, like money. And this morning we're going to talk about that subject because it is the context of this particular passage. And I don't believe it's accidental in light of the things that we're going through in our nation because if you were to ask most people what is the most troubling thing uh, in our nation today, almost to a person they would say the economy. 
Can I say to you that God has principles for the use of money, for the gaining of income, for the distribution of that income, uh, for the purposes for His kingdom, and I believe that we have fallen from those purposes, and that when you do that and you cease to honor God with your resources, then it is usually God's plan that He removes those resources from you and He gives them to someone else who will use them correctly. And so I believe that we sit in this place that we are right now largely because we have been overcome with the very thing that is stated here, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That in fact, for many people, money is their God. Their their God is, is not the Lord God in heaven, and it certainly is not Jesus Christ His Son, and they're not influenced by the Holy Spirit in the way that they use those things that God has blessed them with. And so, please, let no one be pressured, cajoled, uh, moved beyond what the Word plainly declares in any way, shape, or form. It is not my intent, it is not my purpose to do anything other than to bring to light what Scripture plainly declares this morning. It is not something that we, we have not done a study on this subject in six years in this church. And I do not intend to do another one until we come upon a passage that would indicate that we should. And so as we look at this topic of money and of men this morning, I pray for those of you that are faithful in the things of God with your resources, I thank you. God thanks you. For those of you that maybe need a tune-up, I believe that the Lord will be speaking to you this morning. For those that have no idea what it means to be a good steward of the resources of the things of God, maybe some of this will be new information to you, and it will be a blessing unto you. But for each of us, I think that we need to be brought to that place to where money is in its right place in our lives. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you having wealth. And if you have it, Praise the Lord God and use it for His kingdom. There is nothing wrong with being poor. And if you are, God even does special things in the lives of those who do not have resources. But there are biblical principles for the use of money. And they're found throughout Scripture and this morning because the context of this uh, that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, there were false teachers who were using, in essence, the ministry as a way to become wealthy. And Paul speaks to this issue in light of speaking to Timothy. So I believe the Lord would speak to us. Our motivation in ministry, our motivation in life, our motivation as citizens of this nation should not simply be financial gain. If they are, we're missing the very best that God has for us. And again, I mean absolutely no one any disrespect. I'm not trying to pressure anyone. I simply believe that God would have us know these principles so that we can be a blessed people. And as I share with you from God's Word this morning, I know God wants to do that. He has blessed us as a church He continues to bless us as a church, and He wants to bless us as individuals and as a church and as a nation who honors Him. 
And so would you pray with me as we ask him to bless this passage. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, admittedly, a passage that we really don't like to hear about. And Lord, from me to all of us, Lord, it's not comfortable talking about things of money. And yet, Lord, we know that you have a plan, and Lord, you have a purpose in this being in your word. And so, God, we want to receive from you this morning. We pray that the word would be spoken fitly, and God, that it would be a blessing to us as we receive it. We thank you, Lord, for the challenges in life, and we ask you to bless us now as we study your holy and infallible word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 4, and let's go back a little bit because we need to keep this in context. And he's talking about, of course, the false teachers of the first three verses of chapter 6. For he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men with corrupt minds, destitute of truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And from such, withdraw yourselves. And now as you read that passage, it becomes very clear that Paul is talking about those who really do not know the Lord, or perhaps they profess to know the Lord, but they're teaching falsely on how you live your life according to Scripture. And specifically, how you use your financial resources. That godliness is a means to gain. And I can tell you that I've talked to people, well, you know, uh, you ask them, well, do, do you, you know, engage in giving unto the Lord? Well, yeah, you know, I, I do that because I want God to bless me. And they'll say, well, you know, I, and they'll talk about the things that they do and the things, the way that they live their life financially. And I begin to, to ask them, I said, you know what, you're not supposed to give so that you get. You're supposed to give because he's worthy. You're supposed to give because he gave you all of what you have in the first place. That, that whatever you give, it's a percentage of what he's given you. And people, well, okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. And so, as we look at these things, firstly, we must understand that these characteristics were of false teachers. And if you'll notice, these things that are mentioned here are all the things that people do over money, aren't they? Useless wranglings, bitterness, deceit. For those of you that are in here and you're in business, this describes two-thirds of your customers, doesn't it? You know, they want to haggle over the price. They want to talk about what things cost. It's always too much money. And, you know, I can't believe that you charge that. And these types of things are the way that people whose only life is money talk. The things that they say always go back to, what does it cost me? God doesn't want us living that way. Money is necessary in our lives, especially in our culture. But it is supposed to be a tool that's used in the hands of God for his purposes. It is not supposed to be an end game or a goal itself. And the person who seeks after wealth without conscious thought of the God who gives it is seeking after something that can't satisfy and never does. There is no amount of wealth that will ever satiate the human desire for things. It doesn't matter how much you have. As I've shared with you before, I have, I, when I was in business, I had customers who were billionaires. Some of the richest people in the world. And I can tell you they were some of the most miserable people I have ever met in my entire life. 
Nothing was ever good enough for them. Nothing was ever nice enough for them. No house was big enough for them. No car was new enough for them. No jet was good enough for them. There was nothing that satiates that appetite that is simply gained by wealth. It's what you do with wealth that gives you any type of satisfaction with it. It's how you use what God's given you that determines whether you're content as we're going to go on to see. And so I want to set the stage this morning by simply drawing attention that people who don't know the Lord or people who have been taught wrongly or falsely have the wrong view of money. And they have a tendency to lean on it more than they do on God. And when you do that, you end up in all kinds of trouble. You end up in all kinds of hurt and pain. You have anxiousness. You wander around this earth just like the rest of the people who don't know Jesus to some degree, fretting over things that only God in heaven can do anything about. And so in light of that, now pick up in verse 6. After having given us the negative example those things which shouldn't be in our lives. And now godliness with contentment is great gain. Makes a very plain statement that it isn't massive amounts of money. It isn't the bigger house. It's not the newer car. It's none of those things. It is the fullness of God in your life filling you up with the Holy Spirit that godliness and then the contented state of mind and heart that comes from that, that gives you great gain. And it's interesting the way this is actually phrased in the original language, because it isn't that all of a sudden you become wealthy, it's you become absolutely satisfied. The great gain is whatever you have. That's why Paul said, I've learned how to be abased and I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to be rich. And I've learned how to be poor. I've learned how to have absolutely nothing and to have all kinds of things. And in each of those things, he said, I have learned to be content. To have that stability that says, you know what, God, for whatever reason, I used to have this. I don't have it. I'm still content. God, for whatever reason, I didn't have those things, and now I do. I'm content. You see, it's the godliness that's interjected into the things that we possess, that allows us to use them correctly and to have them be a blessing to us instead of a curse. So very often we we look at things as a source of happiness, and they simply aren't. I'm amazed, and I, I... Uh, You could use almost every example of anything that you can think of. Every one of us, you know, we've got the new car smell. You've got the smell of the new paint inside of a house and the fresh carpet. You've got those clothes that you buy and you wear for the first time and they look great. And then you wear them again. It's like, eh. (coughs) Excuse me. You hop in the car and, you know, after the first dents in the door, I can't believe it's dented. You go in the house after a year and you've got to replace the garbage disposal or, you know, you've got a circuit of lights and for whatever reason the breaker, you know, like, I hate this house. But how many of us look to those things, that the vacation? You know, I, I'm famous for putting, you know, 
Extra emphasis. Oh, man, it's going to be a great vacation. Can I tell you, I've been sick on half of our vacations for 35 years. I've been, I've been sick on half of our vacations. It seems like I go someplace and it's like God wants to show me something and settle me down so I end up with, you know, some kind of cold or whatever. But if you're hoping in vacations, if you're hoping in a new house, you're hoping in a new car, you're hoping in anything other than Jesus, family of God, you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to be let down. Because it isn't going to be what you think it'll be. And it isn't going to satisfy. Now, having said that, there is nothing wrong with any of those things. And praise God if you have them. And if God's given you a new car or a new house or a large bank account or a 175-inch flat screen, I praise Jesus. Pretty soon, it's, you, your house is just going to be a TV screen. You'll just walk around inside of it. The walls will be made out of plasma. Praise the Lord. But glorify Him with it. Amen? Because if you're not glorifying the Lord with those things, then they won't be of any benefit to you. There's a reason that boat stands for bring out another thousand. Okay? It just is. You know, you go to start the, every year. You guys that have boats, you know this. You tuned it up. You put it away right. and you, It never works after the end of winter here. It's kind of the way things are with finances in general. You think you've made enough money and you've put enough away and you're looking forward to this and looking forward to that. And by the time you get there, you realize that the enemy is still seeking whom he may devour. And that thing that you didn't count on pops up. But if you're trusting in the stuff, you're going to be in trouble. And so he goes on now. Pick up with me in verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world. Family of God, when you were born in this world, you came with zip. Nada. Not a thing. Except a bad attitude and a need to be taken care of. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. As I travel around the world, I'll tell you what, when you aren't eating, you really don't care if you've got the latest model of car. Uh, If you're not being fed each day and your family is starving, you don't care how big your house is. There's a certain level of contentment that comes from need. And need is not want. And unfortunately, in our country, we have confused the two. Our needs have become wants, and our wants have become needs. And we really need to reevaluate, I believe, the things that are actually needs to us. And identify the wants, and let God have those things, and let Him deal with them according to His plan. Because I've seen so many people end up in so much trouble from seeking after the wants and failing to thank God for Him meeting their needs. Because like it or not, the poor in this country are better off than the rich in many others. I just came back from Brazil. They have a standard of living that has increased radically in the last five or six years. But I can tell you this, 
more than half the population is still some of the poorest people on earth. It hasn't reached everybody. And I can also tell you this, that when you're traveling through the favelas, about all those people care about is whether they're going to live through the next day. That they're not going to starve to death. Here in this country, we're, man, I can't believe we're out of steaks. I just went down to the freezer and, you know, I know we bought a, a 10-pound ham and there, now there's only an 8-pounder in there. We go through and look at all the boxes in there, processed stuff. Honey, we're down to nine frozen pizzas. You look through your closet. You know, I, I think I only have 15 dress shirts left. Family of God, we have a lot of wants in our homes. But we have virtually every need taken care of. With these, we shall be content. Now notice what's said next. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts or better yet desires which drown men in destruction and perdition. Underline that verse. Because it really is that verse that determines, I believe, for most of us, where we're at financially. Because it is not the, the desire for our needs to be met. It's our desire to have more than we really need that causes problems. Having said that, there's nothing wrong with you wanting to be a multimillionaire, providing you see that as a means to glorify God. Understand what I just said very well. I'm not preaching against you being wealthy. Because Scripture doesn't. But I am saying that this verse is true. For most people, and that's why Jesus used the analogy of a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven, being very difficult and akin to a camel traveling through the eye of a needle. The reason that he said that is most of us don't handle wealth all that well. Most of us aren't geared in such a way that when we have those things, we do use them correctly. We have a tendency to spend them on our own selves. And it's not God's plan. It doesn't mean that you can't take a great vacation. doesn't mean you're in sin if you have new cars. doesn't mean if you have a wonderful house that God is cursing you. But it does mean those things ought to be secondary to your love for Jesus. And it does mean that everything you have ought to be open for God to use it in any way, shape, or form he sees fit. And when we isolate ourselves and we hold those things too tightly to ourselves, we begin to fall into problems. Because we now start searching after those things that cannot satisfy, that don't satisfy. And we end up accumulating things that we end up having to serve instead of them serving us. Amen? Like boats, RVs. And if you have those things, praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that he's given us such great abundance. But you know what? I know people that work an extra job to have those things. And they don't have time for God. I know people that work 70, 80 hours a week. 
that don't have the time for anything, not even their family, because they have those things. If that's the case, I would suggest to you they're a little out of order. Because if you don't have time to be a good husband and a good father, a good wife, a good mother, a good father, a good son, whatever relationship, if you're out of time and you're out of gas... Because you're serving your boat, or you're serving your motor home, or you're serving your dirt bikes, or you're serving your vacation, or you're ser- <coughs> excuse me, servicing your credit card debt, I would say to you, that's a little out of whack. And you probably need to take stock in where you're at with this regard. Many foolish and harmful desires which drown, and I love that. Drown men in destruction and perdition. How many times have we heard, I'm drowning in debt? How many times have we heard people, I don't think I'll ever get out from underneath this? I can tell you, in my own personal experience, not only in my own life, but in counseling others, the problem generally is people have gained things or sought after things that were not God's plan. They bought that huge house, believing that it was going to go up in value, believing they were going to get infinite raises for the rest of their life. Amen? That happens. I talk to people every day about whom that is the truth. They knew they couldn't afford a $500,000 house when they bought it, but they were hoping against hope that things would always be good. That's not a good way to live your life financially in the things of the Lord. You end up drowned. You end up buried underneath things that there's not going to be a thing you can do about. Because the enemy controls the world system. The enemy controls the world's banking system. The enemy is in charge of most of what you have hoped in. It doesn't mean that every business is against the things of God. That isn't true. But it does mean that the enemy is in the details of the way our financial system works. You can see it in the corruption of Wall Street. You can see it in the corruption of government. You can see it in the corruption of personal business enterprises that are not of God, and they're taking advantage of other people. Notice verse 10. For the love, and notice very carefully what this passage says and does not say. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It does not say that money is evil. It doesn't even say that gaining wealth is evil. It says the love of money is a root. Or it can be a problem. Because if it becomes your God, if it becomes the thing that you serve and worship, if it becomes the context of your life, if you're known not as someone who loves Jesus, but someone who's simply wealthy, then you have a problem. It is not supposed to be a god. And it certainly is not that you are supposed to be a slave to it. You are supposed to be the master. And it, the slave, it's the root of all kinds of evil. And notice what it says, and for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. 
Family of God, I've bumped into many people. I myself have traveled this path. I can tell you emphatically in front of God that I strayed this exact way. When I first went into business, I was in my early 20s, and I was walking with Jesus. But for the love of money, seeing dollar signs, wanting the power and all the toys that went along with it, I strayed from the faith. It's the reason that I spent 10 years not, not walking with Jesus. It, it is the thing that I can look back on now and say, that's what happened to me. I'm a living example of somebody who had it wrong for a period of time. And it says, because of their greediness, they've strayed from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, literally falling on a sword of your own hand. What it's actually saying is it's as if you propped up the sword yourself and fell on it. Pierced through by your own hand. You're out there doing these things, and before you know it, you are pierced through. You see, when our motivation is money, when our ultimate goal is to enrich ourselves, we fly in the face of God's design and plan for money. It isn't His plan that we all become wealthy. It isn't His plan that everybody is rich. It's not His plan that everybody's healthy. Can I say to you that in this world you will have tribulation? Christians lose their jobs. Christians lose their retirement. Very often by no fault of their own. There are Christians who are, have not two nickels to rub together, and yet they love Jesus. God has not anywhere in His Holy Scriptures declared that you're going to be wealthy or that you're going to be healthy, period. But He has given us guidelines as to how to do the best we possibly can with the things that He's given us and ensure His hand of blessing. Those principles do exist in Scripture. doesn't tell us what the end result will be for everybody. And it doesn't say that if you do these things, well, you're going to be absolutely, famously wealthy and taken care of. It simply says that if you want the blessings of the Lord, you have to be obedient to the things of the Lord, and you must use the things that He's given you for His glory. Those principles are found in Scripture. And in essence, it's really a picture of the heart of God. Is not our God generous in giving to us? For God so loved this world that he gave. What? His only begotten son. You can't give any more than that. It gives you a picture of the giving heart of God. And that transfers over into every aspect of our life, including our financial lives. Giving shows who's the boss. It's that simple. Because one of the most difficult things for us to let go of is the things that we think we own. Amen? You ever notice how when you go to yard sales, people become absolutely insufferable? You go there and it's like they, you know, they've got their junk on a table. And it's like it's still worth billions of dollars. 
It's been in their garage for 10 years. And the reason it's on the table is they want to get rid of it. But you offer them five bucks. No way. For seven. (coughs) It's because we have an attraction to stuff. We like things. And we get focused in on It's my stuff. Go to a kindergarten class. You want to see this in action. They're there with the crayons. It's my crayons. Give me back my piece of my cracker. It just gets worse as they go get older in school. And then pretty soon they're fighting over their textbooks and backpacks and stealing each other's things. And it's human nature. And what God's saying is, you can tell where somebody's about with the Lord, where they are, by the looseness with which they hang on to the things of this world. Because they're not mine. We're blessed. We live in a wonderful neighborhood. We have a nice house. We've got cars, all those things. But you know what? They're not mine. They're God's. I have them today. I don't know what He's going to do tomorrow. But I know this. My car is His car. My bank account is His bank account. My home is His home. My life is His life. And what best exemplifies His desire is that I be open to Him doing whatever He wants with His stuff. It's His. It's not mine. And to take it any other way is to pierce yourselves through. To try and hang on to all that stuff and manage it in that way is to put yourself in danger of having the wrong outlook on things. And again, I beg of you, please do not be beat up with what I'm saying right now. I'm not trying to inflict pain on anyone or bring into question anybody's lifestyle. I'm not trying to do that at all. But what I am saying is that as we ponder the things of the Lord, we think about what He's doing, we have the right priorities on the things that we possess. I know the things that God has blessed me with in life, He may want to use in some spectacular way. He may actually call upon me to take care of somebody else's need. Maybe he wants you to give away a car to somebody who doesn't have one. Are you willing to do that? Because if you're really walking with the Lord closely, you're going to recognize he can just as easily give you one back. He can just as easily give you a house. The sheep, the cattle, and a thousand hills, the gold and silver in every mine, the earth and the fullness of it, Scripture declares, is the Lord's. It already belongs to him. The fact that it's in your possession just simply means that he trusts you with it. So make sure he still has his hands on it. It is God's heart that we make sure that we represent him with our things. This is one of those colds that's just like almost gone, you know, where you take a deep breath and you're like, okay, stop it. Okay, I'm fine. Now notice some of the components of this, and I want to just move through them rather quickly, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice it doesn't say that a big house and cars or 65 mules or whatever is great gain. It says godliness with contentment. In other words, being happy with what you have is the way to be satisfied. That's how you're satisfied. 
Some of you that have been married a, a long while, you look back on your life. When you first got married, probably most of you, I know we were pretty much destitute when we got married. You know, we didn't have two nickels to rub together, and we were thankful to live in our little one-bedroom kind of studio apartment. We had one car. I'll never forget, we'd been married a week, and, and we came out and found our 1971 Pinto on blocks. All four tires had been taken. And I looked at it, and I'm like, God, this is going to cost $100 to put tires on that car. Because at the time, you could still buy retreads for passenger car tires. You know, they're like $17 a piece or something. And I'm thinking, no, there's just no way, Lord, this just can't happen. But I remember being so thankful that we actually had a car. You know, now we have four of them. It's just like you get the insurance. And you're like, God, why did you do this to me? How come I have so many cars? It's because contentment doesn't come from those things. It comes from being in the center of God's will and in His hands. God gives. God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, He does, I will tell you this straight up, Honor those who honor Him, and He blesses those who bless Him. And so the short path to those needs that you have being met in a consistent way is doing what God asks us to do. It brings great gain. Uh, our, our material treasures are a way for eternal treasures, family of God. Our material treasures are a way for eternal treasures to happen on this earth. It's that simple. When we look at the things that we have, we should be looking at them going, you know what, Lord, I don't know what you want to do with this, but please do whatever it is that you want. Just, just, it's all yours, God. Do you want me to sponsor some kid to camp? Please tell me that you want me to do that. Whatever you want to do, Lord. I'll never forget the first time God actually asked us to give away a car to somebody who had need. And I'm like, are you sure? You know, I mean, like for a week I went around with this. Like, God, I don't know if this is you or not. You know what happened? Right after that, someone gave us a car. Literally. And it was better than the one we gave away. Now, I'm not telling you God's going to do that every time. So don't go make write it down and, well, if I give away my car, I'll get a better one. <coughs> it's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying God's that big. He knows your needs. He knows everything about your life. Family of God, can I, can I say something to you? If you are trusting Him with your eternity, can you not trust Him with your bank account? If you're trusting Him to get you home to heaven by grace, can you not trust Him to make sure that you have enough food on the table? Or that your utility bills are paid or your mortgage? It makes no sense to trust Him with eternal things and to not trust Him with temporal things. And yet, that's where people have problems very often. Oh, I'll, you know, I'm going to heaven by grace. But this giving thing, you know, I don't know about that. God's more than able to replace everything that you give. Sometimes people will come and say, you know, what do I do? You know, I'm flat broke. I, I don't know. I can give you some, some things that you ought to ponder. Number one, ask God to clarify what is a desire that's his, and what's a desire that's yours. <clears throat> Make sure that you're walking in the center of his will with that regard. Secondarily, thank him for what you already have. Because like it or not, most of the time, that's one of those failures that we have. 
I, I can't tell you how many times I whine to God before I thank Him for what I already have. How many times I ask Him for something else when I've already got more than I need. I've confused needs and wants. Determine whether those things are actually from the Lord or not. We're actually looking at that on Wednesday night. How to discern God's will. Because God does want you to know what's from Him and what's not from Him. And I think largely we can know the will of God. You you see, sometimes we kind of point our fingers at God when the problem actually is us. So many things that we look at in this life... We don't realize that God's already giving it, given those things to us in the measure that he wants us to have them. Because he's waiting to do some spiritual work in us before he does something else. Probably many of you have been through those repeated cycles to where, you know, you kind of reached a plateau and then all of a sudden you kind of went backwards a little bit. I can tell you in my own life that most of the time that's been because I have hindered the work of God. I've gotten in God's way. I get comfortable, I get you know, overly confident. That's why it says those who want to be rich, when your desires on anything but wanting to be godly, you're going to have some problems. Lord, I just want my resources that are in my control to bring you glory and honor and praise. I don't want to have an addiction to gold, in other words. I'd rather have a golden addiction in giving. It's like, God, just let me be a vehicle, a vessel through which you can pour out your resources to this world. And I can tell you in our own lives, and I'm speaking for my family, we have never been so rich as we are now. And I mean that in the godly sense. We've had way more money. We've had a lot more possessions. But we have never been so rich as we are now. Never. That comes from, I believe, just simply wanting to do God's will. Desiring to see Him glorified. Looking at things in this life through the lens of Scripture and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to say, God, what do you want to do? It's all yours anyway. I believe it comes from faithful giving. You know, someday, you realize this. Someday, you're not going to need money. There isn't going to be any heaven. You're not going to pull out your wallet and go over to, you know, get a Slurpee. You're not going to need it in heaven. Part of getting ready for heaven is living heavenly lives now and recognizing the value of things in accordance with the eternal plan. I believe that that comes from understanding God's plan for finances. And I want to just briefly share with you a passage I have alluded to, and I want to look at Turn over to Malachi chapter 3. That's very near the end of the Old Testament, for those of you who don't know that. And there are some principles here, and I just want to touch on them briefly. Verse 8 there in Malachi 3, Will a man rob God? It's interesting that it begins that way. In verse 8, will a man rob God? You know why it says that? Because everything's his in the first place. It never was yours, and it still isn't yours. It's his. Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have I robbed you? Notice how he describes it. In tithes and offerings. He says, you haven't given me 
back what I've asked you to give. And the reason for that giving is not big church buildings, it's not pastor's salaries, it's not new cars, it's not the latest technology. It's to meet the needs that the church has been purposed on this earth to meet. Through this church, there are missionaries all over the world. Through this church, we feed the hungry. Through this church, we feed the homeless. Through this church, we minister to people who can't pay their electrical bills. Through this church, we minister to our own community and to the children who don't know Jesus. Through this church, through all those things, this church functions as the hands of the Lord with regard to finances. That's what happens with those tithes and offerings that come in. They don't go into my bank account. They go into the church bank account. They they don't go to support me and my family largely. They largely go to do the work of the Lord. They pay for this building. They pay to maintain this building. They pay the salaries of the staff that are here that minister to your children. They minister to our friends at FRC in Washington, D.C. They take care of those that are defending people right now in court in California and in the American Justice Institute. They take care of all of those things. Those are the hands of the Lord that through faithful giving, those needs are met. You guys are responsible for feeding 60 to 70 families every single month in this community. 160, 170 people. They pay nothing. You bless them through your giving, through your faithfulness. How have I robbed you in tithes and offerings? And you are cursed with a curse. I want you to notice this. There is a negative component and a positive component to doing things God's way. If you choose not to do God's things God's way, you're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even, notice this, this whole nation. When we stop honoring the Lord with our finances, and we start focusing in on materialism, we are in deep trouble. And he goes on, then bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and now try me in this, says the Lord of hosts. And I want you to simply look at two very simple things. If I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour out upon you such a blessing that there is not room enough to receive it, that's part one. That through faithful giving, through honoring God with your finances, through tithing, which simply means a tenth, that's all it means. Through that faithful giving, God's word declares to those who do it that he will bless the nation, that he will bless them as people individually, that he will pour out a blessing upon them that they cannot contain. And that doesn't necessarily mean financially, by the way. It could mean good health. It could could mean repaired relationships with people, I mean, all kinds of things. But certainly in a financial sense, this is the short path to doing well. But the thing that's often missed in this passage, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit in your field, says the Lord of hosts. There are two parts. Number one, he blesses you. Number two, he keeps the enemy from beating the tar out of you. In other words, he's got your back. I can tell you, both these things have been at work in my life for a long time. 
I have seen God make things last like nobody's business. I got two labs in the house and our carpet's still there. You know, I mean, it's, it's a miracle of God. And of course, I'm being a little bit silly here. But I want you to understand that there are several things that happen, two of them very prominently. One is, God blesses you. Two is, God keeps you from being unblessed or cursed or unduly beaten upon. And you know, when I talk to people, and it's not something we talk about frequently, but when I talk to people who are in financial trouble, pretty common that they have not been faithful in giving unto the Lord. And when I talk to people that are doing okay, pretty common, nearly 100%, that they understand that the place that God has for money in their life. And they're faithful in it. I have seen both sides at play very consistently throughout my time walking with the Lord. I wouldn't have it any other way, personally. You can't keep me from tithing. Because I know the benefits of it, and I know the blessing of it. And I will continue to do that until God takes me home, at a minimum. Because if I can't live on 90% of what he's already given me, I won't live on 110% of it, quite frankly. Those monies go to support so many things that otherwise will not get done. It's that simple. We can't bless people in this community by helping them out of tough financial situations unless we have the resources to do it. And quite frankly, it comes from having the proper place, God's view of financial things. Now, having said that, next time you open up your checkbook, look at it like a diary because it's basically a financial diary. It, it, it tells you to some degree where your priorities are. And I would just simply ask of you, do what Scripture says. Test him in this. It says test him. Don't believe me. Test God. Not trying to push or prod. Test God. See if it isn't true. My life has been true. And I've been blessed because of it. And I want you blessed. So as the Lord purposes and as... 2 Corinthians chapter 9 tells us to give cheerfully, for God loves a cheerful giver. You're going to find out that not only you're cheerful, but you're also blessed. And he also keeps away the destroyer from your door. Those are pretty good things in an economy such as ours. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the faithful. Lord, those who just give sacrificially, God, in this church, and there are many. And pray that you would just give us a heart after your own heart in these things. And Lord, I pray no one, not one person, would leave this sanctuary this morning uh, feeling like they've been pressured or pushed in any way, shape, or form. But rather, we just know what your word says. And Lord, help us to be obedient to do it. And so God, as we hand over, Lord, those things that are most difficult, Lord, our worldly possessions, our bank accounts to your control. We pray that you would use them for your glory and for your blessing. We pray that you would bless us, Lord. There are so many that are hurting. We pray that you would indeed keep the destroyer from their door. Lord, we pray that you'd watch over and keep us. Make us strong, God, for your kingdom's work while we're in this world. 
We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time in your word this morning. Pray that you would indeed pour out upon us a blessing that cannot be contained. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.